Have you ever said something like this? No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from dot dot dot. You could fill in the blank. Uh, maybe you've said something like, no matter what happens today, nothing will stop me from getting my work done. Or no matter what happens today, nothing will stop me from finishing this course I'm working on. And maybe a little bit less work oriented, you might say, no matter what, nothing will stop me from loving you. Maybe you've said that to your kids before or to your spouse or just a, a friend that you, uh, you love. And this one is for the food lovers uh, that join me. <laughs> no matter what happens, nothing will stop me from eating that last piece of chocolate cake. That's an important one for sure. Well, if you're watching online, you could, uh, in the comment section, answer, finish that sentence. Or if you're sitting around uh, the table together or on the couch with your family, how would you finish the sentence? No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from I'm just trying to imagine what you might be saying. Some of them could be silly. Uh, some of them could be serious. Well, today we're going to talk about three young men who said this very same thing. No matter what happens, nothing will stop us from worshiping the one true God. Well, this is our last message in our summer series called Long Story Short. And while each story that we've talked about through the Old Testament is short in and of itself, Every story fits into the long story of God's uh, love and his saving plan for humanity. And today we're ending with another favorite of mine. I think I said that with Gideon too. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This story contains one of my favorite verses, one of the most awe-inspiring uh, verses that I have underlined and made so many notations by in my Bible. And if you have a Bible and you wanna open to the book of Daniel, and maybe you're unfamiliar, uh, open to the middle and then turn to the right, you'll get to Daniel uh, soon enough. Well, we're going to start with some history from Daniel chapter 1 before we head into chapter 3, and um, that was read uh, already this morning for us. Thank you very much. And so here's a little bit of the history to give you the context for what's going to go on in chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, has captured the people of the tribe of Judah, and uh, he has taken all the young men and uh, some of the royal family, uh, people of nobility, and he's taken them into his, um, into his uh, service, or into, his, into be trained for three years into uh, his kingdom. He wants them to be trained, so basically he can be the servants and they can work for him. Well, among the, th the men that are chosen are four Israelite men named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it is estimated that at this time they're 16 years old, which is, which is quite young. They are renamed once they get into uh, the Babylonian um, kingdom, and their names now are Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And probably you are more familiar with their Babylonian names uh, instead of their uh, Israelite names, which is really interesting because culturally names were so very important and they meant really significant things and their parents would have chosen their um, uh, Hebrew names uh, for special reasons. And so when they are renamed, uh, it kind of took their Jewish testimony of God away from them uh, as the Babylonians were trying to do and they subjected them to Babylonian God names, um, which really would have been hard for them. Well, the first issue that these four buddies face is that they're told that they have to eat food that has been defiled and offered to idols. 
so they ask for an exception to this rule. They say um, to their captors, can we just have vegetables and water for 10 days and see how we're doing uh, compared to the others? Uh, and of course, after 10 days, they're doing amazing. Well, over the other verses that were read this morning, uh, 11 through 20, you can see how God is at work in supernatural ways in this story. God causes the official who is in charge of them to show them compassion and really to favor their request, which is unusual because he would have been basically the enemy, right? They're prisoners of war. And yet he, uh, through God's influence in his life, he shows them favor and compassion. God shows uh, that these young men are fit uh, and able to, the, to uh, after this test of 10 days. He gives them understanding and knowledge unlike anyone else, and to Daniel, the ability to interpret dreams and visions. God gives them favor with the king, and verse 19 says, no one was found to be equal to them, which is really amazing. These young men remained faithful to God, to, to what they knew was right through their Jewish laws and the upbringing they would have had from their family, and God is faithful to them. He doesn't save them from the crisis, from, the, from captivity, but he is with them every step of the way. Well, that important history, I want you to sort of keep in the back of your mind as we work through uh, Daniel chapter three today. Now, if you're a VeggieTale fan, which uh, many kids and families are, maybe some grandparents have also seen some VeggieTales, you, uh, you have maybe falsely learned that the image that King Nebuchadnezzar made was actually a chocolate bunny. And I hate to tell you today, even though the chocolate bunny story is pretty awesome uh, in Veggie Tales, it wasn't a chocolate bunny that King Nebuchadnezzar created. But uh, in chapter three, we start learning about this massive image, this statue that King Nebuchadnezzar is making of himself. And it is created out of gold. It's 30 meters high, which is approximately the size of a six story building. It's three meters wide. And uh, this image, is created on the plains in an area near the kingdom and uh, once it's all set up the king has this grand idea to invite a whole slew of people together to dedicate this golden image of him and, and ultimately to worship him and it he has an impressive guest list that he assembles and uh, invites all the babylonian dig uh, dignitaries excuse me so verse 2 tells us who was invited he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Now this guest list is impressive. Basically everyone that's important, everyone that has a special job in the kingdom. One of the um, groups of people that I wasn't sure about, although I've heard their name lots of times, is the satraps. And I learned that this group of people are called protectors of the realm. Uh, protectors of uh, the kingdom and the rest of the people are also very important and they've come together now to dedicate this image and to worship King Nebuchadnezzar and part of it is this sort of proving their dedication uh, a test of allegiance if you will everyone is summoned to the kingdom I'm quite certain they really did not have a choice whether they were coming or not this would prove to King Nebuchadnezzar who really worshiped the ground he walked on basically well, we're going to read uh, starting in verse 4, and the words are going to come up on the screen if you don't have uh, a Bible with you this morning. Starting at verse 4, Then the herald proclaimed loudly, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. 
As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Well, it's pretty clear uh, from these instructions what's supposed to happen and what is not supposed to happen and the consequences of what will happen to you if you don't. The punishment is severe and it's meant to make a statement and it really does. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar could have just killed them by the sword, uh, which would have been a more typical uh, way uh, to put, uh, to get rid of someone. But I read that King Nebuchadnezzar was not a man who allowed lawbreakers to go unpunished. And in ancient cruciform writing, Nebuchadnezzar was described as so devoted to justice that he did not rest night or day. So we're at the story, we've all gathered together, the plains are, uh, are sort of all this flat area, you see this massive, massive statue. All the important people in Babylon have gathered. The music is played and the expectation is clear. However, not everyone who has been invited to this momentous event is ready to bow down. And if you are familiar with this story, you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know that they cannot worship any other God, and so they don't bow down. Well, there's a group of people who are not impressed uh, with these three Jewish men, and they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever, uh, sort of uh, brown nosing, if you will. Um, they say, just so you know, some of the Jews that you have set over the affairs of your province, uh, they don't pay attention to you, your majesty. They don't serve your gods and they don't worship this golden image that you have set up. What a bunch of tattletales, hey? These uh, astrologers, these other uh, people important in the kingdom, but were not as high up as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so some people think that they're kind of, uh, this is kind of like payback. We don't want to be under these three uh, Israelite young men. And so they tell the king, well, as you might imagine, King Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. <laughs> In fact, verse 13 says that the king was furious with rage. The king calls for them and he asks them face to face. So here are all the important people. The golden image is set up. I just want you to imagine this in your mind. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought to King Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone is watching them. The king asks for himself. He didn't just take the, the astrologer's word for it. He asks for himself, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And I like that he goes and gets this, you know, gets this information firsthand. And he, he offers them a second chance in verse 13. He says it this way. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then not only does he give the consequence, he kind of taunts them. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? As if Nebuchadnezzar is over all of the gods. See, the king already knows these young Israelite men. He knows they worship God. And uh, we found that out in chapter one. 
The king found no one equal to them. They were amazing in every matter of wisdom and understanding. These guys were found to be 10 times smarter, 10 times better than any of the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so he knows that they worship God, Yahweh, and yet he still challenges them. Well, this is my favorite part. Remember that everyone is watching and these three men, maybe by now they're 20 years old, in their early 20s, this is what they say in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, who has just threatened them with a terrible way to die, in front of all the high up people in the entire kingdom. And this is what these three young men say, starting at verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Can you imagine having that kind of confidence in your relationship with God to make such a bold statement especially at their age in their early 20s as captives in a foreign land their boldness is so powerful to me even if we're thrown in the fiery furnace the god we serve he can deliver us i love that confidence but even if he does not in the way that we imagine save us we're still not going to worship you their answer to the king, it doesn't doubt God's ability. They say, you know, we know our God can save us. But it also does not presume that they know God's will. You know, even if he does not save us, we still will not worship you. No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from. No matter if I will be thrown into a blazing furnace of fire, Nothing will stop us from worshiping the one true God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. This moment is so profound, and I find this verse so inspiring. I know God can save me from, but even if he doesn't do it in the way that I imagine, I will still worship him. I will still give praise and honor to God. And while we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego inspiring, King Nebuchadnezzar does not. <laughs> And his rage causes him to order the fiery furnace to be heated seven times hotter. I can't even imagine that. I am feeling the heat from this tiny little campfire. He commands the strongest soldiers to bind up and tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so tightly so that they cannot escape in any way. And he has them thrown in. And the verse says that the fire has been heated so hot that the soldiers that throw them in, they actually die because it's so, so hot. Well, here is the scene. They're down on the plains and I imagine this furnace is close by because we find out very shortly that everyone that was invited, they're still watching. They're still watching what has happening. They've watched this impromptu trial They've watched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to read in verse, starting at verse 24. He leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors, Were there three men, just three, that we tied up and threw into the fire? 
They replied, certainly, your majesty. He's starting to second guess himself. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, they all crowd around them. Can you imagine how many thoughts are going through their minds? And, and, and they're probably speechless, just standing there in silence. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. What an amazing, amazing miracle. But what I love the most is that because Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were willing to lay down their lives for their faith, they were willing to say, no matter the consequence, nothing will stop us from worshiping our God. They experienced an amazing miracle and an even more amazing testimony. Every important person in the kingdom of Babylon just watched the power of God in their lives, just saw the most amazing testimony that they will ever experience in their lives. Well, not only are the, um, all these indignitaries just, I'm sure, beyond shocked and changed from this experience, so is King Nebuchadnezzar, and he immediately says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent this angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, in God. They defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. The king recognized the power of God in such an amazing way. And then he actually promotes them, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Do you feel like your faith is as strong and as courageous as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? <laughs> Some days I would say, yes, you know, with this fist, like I'm ready to go into battle. And I think other days I would probably hesitate and say, I hope so. <laughs> While we are in a country and in a culture where we will probably never face this kind of a test to stand up to our faith or, or face death, many brothers and sisters of ours are all around the world do. Probably you and I's circumstances are more subtle. Uh, maybe something like this. No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from standing up for my classmate who's getting bullied. No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from telling the truth when my boss asks what happened between two coworkers. No matter what happens, nothing will stop me from being honest with my parents about where that scratch and dent came from on the side of the car. No matter what happens, nothing will stop me 
from taking a public stand for people who are being oppressed and mistreated, even if it makes me really unpopular. What is God asking you to do no matter what? God can save us in a way that we imagine in our minds or in a way that we can't even consider. But are you willing to say, no matter the consequence, we will do what is right in the eyes of the Lord? I know God can save us from our difficult situations and circumstances, but will we continue to worship God? Will we follow his teachings, even when it's unpopular, even when we lose friends, even when it costs us financially, or even if we lose our reputation? God can save us, but even if he does not, will we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Will we still worship God? Will we still do the right thing no matter what? As you sit around campfires like I am today throughout this summer and maybe into the fall, I pray that God brings this story back to your mind as you just watch the flames and watch the fire and maybe as you back up your chair because you find it a little too warm, that you would take some time to reflect on this amazing miracle of God saving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And would you also consider their boldness and their confidence that they had in God's ability to save? And then would you reflect on this, but even if he doesn't save me the way I think he should or the way I can imagine, that you would still worship God. It would not change your confidence in God. I pray that a campfire experience over the next few weeks or over the fall will just bring you into a time of reflection on this amazing story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's pray together. God, your word is amazing. It's inspiring. It's, it's difficult. It's shocking on some level. And we thank you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young people, these young adults who knew what was right, who knew what they needed to do, and they stood up for what was right. They stood up to a king and everyone that was important in a land when they knew the consequence would be severe. They knew it would mean death. And yet, God, they were so confident. Would you give us the boldness and the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Would you help us to remember your ability to save, your ability that your word would be going out through our testimony? Would that give us courage and confidence? God, I just pray for this boldness in each person listening today, in each of the people in our church, whether young or old, whether in the mid-20s or younger or in their mid-80s, God, would you give us boldness would you give us courage to stand up and do the right thing, no matter what? And would your name be worshiped? Would your name be honored and glorified because of our testimony, because of our ability to do that with your strength in us? We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.